At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we're turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face-to-face with whatever's keeping us from answering God's call as Isaiah did. Send me. So much to be thankful for. Pastor EJ said we're a family. This family is far bigger than any one building can contain. Um, we praise God for um, the generosity of this church that supports 15 campuses. But you may not know is that you also support a whole host of global partners and missionaries around the world. Through your generosity and through the partnership we have in the gospel with them, and their time, talent, and treasures uh, being invested, uh, we are reaching unreached people groups in places near and far. This week, we're going to start a three-week campaign. It's a three-week campaign to support our global partners. You guys know over the last couple of years how hard it's been for us to do any type of global ministry. What we have done under the leadership of uh, Don Anderson, our global missions pastor, is to stay connected in heart with our global partners. We've sent small teams, not big teams, but small teams to do wellness visits and checks. We recently did one for Akajan in Thailand just to encourage them to let them know that they're brothers and sisters in the U.S., Specifically here at Woodside, we love them and we care about them. But how many thank God that the world has opened up again? How many praise God for that? And um, this year we're sending teams like we have historically done, going there simply to serve and labor to strengthen the hands of our global partners as they reach people that have yet to call upon the name of Jesus. It's hard to believe, but over 4 billion people on this planet have yet to call upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. That means that if they died today, they would not spend eternity with God. And that should compel us to want to do all that we can so that all can hear before Christ returns. And so there's a, an insert in your bulletin. If you could just pull that out for me really quickly. And that insert gives you insight into what's happening uh, through our global partnerships around the world. You'll understand as you flip through the pages why we go and what we have on the horizon. You'll see what we're doing in the area of Bible translation, theological training, compassion ministry, and so much more. On the last page of this uh, particular uh, handout, there's a QR code. I would love for you to scan it as you do, just opening the, um, the photo app on your phone and hovering over that QR code. Uh, it'll take you to a website that'll allow you to support the campaign. Here's what we're believing God for across all of our campuses. We're believing God over the next three weeks that over and above our regular giving for $250,000. Now, the needs of our global partners far exceed that, but this is just one way for us to give them some encouragement as they seek to serve in many ways in hard places. And so I'm going to ask you to pray, to keep this bulletin maybe near your bedside or on your refrigerator or someplace visible to remind you to pray for our global partners. And yes, I'm going to ask you to consider opening up your heart and your generosity to invest in the gospel spreading around the world. How many want to see many people come to faith in Christ? Amen. How many desire to see that? So this campaign is a great opportunity for you to do that. 
Well, with that being said, uh, we're going to start a new series today. And honestly, I cannot wait to get into this chapter. Um, This is one of the monumental chapters in all of Scripture. And we're going to spend the next three weeks in nine verses. But I promise you, it will be worth every minute that we do. Before we get into today's text, I just want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever seen something for the first time? and you knew after seeing it, you would never be the same again. Has that ever happened to you that you saw something and for the first time it marked you forever for a lifetime? It's happened to me uh, three times. I remember the first time I saw the Pacific Ocean. I remember just going there and growing up in Michigan, I had never seen a body of water so great, so awe-inspiring. It, it made me feel small. Anybody seen an ocean before? It's so large that it makes you feel small, while at the same time, as I stood there on the shore, listening to the waves, it brought me tremendous peace. It was this dual emotion that was happening within me. And again, absolutely awe-inspiring. And I remember saying to myself, this was 22 years ago, standing there, that, man, I want to experience this again. And for 22 years, a little bit more than that, my family and I have been going just about every year so that we can experience that again and again and again. Another time when it happened to me is the first time I saw my wife. I remember we were 16 years old, and for me, it was truly one of those moments that when I saw her, her beauty in her heart was captivating to me. Now, it took her a little while to catch up to the story, but for me, literally, the first time I saw her, it was such an awe-inspiring moment that I said, I want her in my life forever. Four years later, we were married. And this year, we celebrate 25 years of marriage. To God be the glory. Another time when it happened to me was uh, when I first held my daughter in my arms, little Zoe. Now, all parents and all dads will tell you that all the kids are the same. And that's a lie. But we tell it. And uh, before it did, there is nothing like your daughter. I love my boys, but there's nothing like holding your daughter in your arms, my first baby girl. And I remember when our eyes locked, and every parent knows what I'm talking about. The first time our eyes locked, I fell in love with her. And for 16 years almost, I've been trying my best to communicate my love for her in every way that I can, every day of her life. She was just a tiny little thing, five pounds, five ounces, felt like I could have held her in the palm of my hand, but she had captured my entire heart and my future, dedicating it to her and and later on to the rest of the kids. These are all inspiring moments. I bring all of this up because what we're about to see is a moment in the life of a man named Isaiah. And Isaiah is about to have one of those awe-inspiring moments that will so overwhelm his soul, it will mark his life forever. I want you to join me in Isaiah chapter 6. And as we step into Isaiah chapter 6, I almost feel like saying, this is holy ground. Because what Isaiah does is he captures for us a vision that the Lord gives him of his throne room. Imagine God inviting you into his throne room. 
This is exactly what we see in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is invited into the throne room of God. Imagine what he must have saw and experienced. And what amazes me about this moment is that God later tells him to capture in writing for his generation and for ours what he saw in that moment. I'm humbled and blessed by his economy of words because I don't know if I would have enough pen and paper to describe what he does so powerfully, so efficiently, so poetically in just a few short verses. Look with me in chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. And it says this, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Jump with me down to verse number eight, if you will. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. This is almost overwhelming to think what Isaiah must have felt in that moment. I think about the bigness and the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. It pales in comparison to this moment. God revealing himself to this man as he stood the threshold of this glorious moment. But when and why did God reveal himself? Let's not overlook the introductory words here because, again, nothing is here superfluously. Everything is here with purpose and intent, specifically for our edification and to understand the heart of God. It says in verse number one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. A little bit about this King Uzziah. Uzziah would have been one of um, the prophet Isaiah's closest friends at some point in his life. His ministry spans much of, uh, of Isaiah's uh, ministry as well. Uzziah was king of Israel for 52 years. He took the throne at 16. And for 52 years, he not only led that nation, but he was an institution. And for most, much of that time, the nation prospered. The nation did well. God kept his promise that if any king of Israel were to follow his commandments and honor him, that he would prosper and bless the nation. And so under Uzziah, they expanded. Under Uzziah, their enemies were at peace with them. Under Uzziah, they knew economic peace and political, social prosperity. If you've ever had a leader, a political leader that you've believed in, if you've ever had a political leader where you've said, you know, I know that he's fighting for us. I know that as long as he's in office, everything's going to be okay. You get a slight glimpse of what Isaiah must have felt, what Israel must have felt about Uzziah. 
Under him, they felt peace. Under him, they felt like they were flourishing. Under him, they felt like they were a nation that could contend with any nation. Much of his reign was prosperous, but not all of his reign was prosperous. The unfortunate story of King Uzziah is that he did not finish well. It is heartbreaking to hear story after story of men and women who live much of their lives honoring God with a great testimony only to see that unravel at the end. If you find yourself in the fourth quarter of life, if you find yourself getting towards the finish line, I want to give you this admonishment. Please finish well. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, the author and the finisher of your faith, and finish well. Don't sacrifice a life of testimony and ruin it all. This is what happened to Uzziah. The end of his life is captured in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse number 16, it says this, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now for us, that may seem like no big deal, but here's what it's saying about him in a nutshell. That while he flourished under adversity and did well in the face of challenge, he could not handle prosperity. For many of us, it's not the adversity or the struggle that will destroy us. It's the prosperity. It's the success of it all. He had reached a measure of success that brought pride to his heart. So much pride that he thought, I, I'm successful in fighting, in war. I'm successful in politics and in governing. So I can also do spiritual things as well. In spite of the fact that God had already divided up the spiritual responsibilities among those priests and Levites that were to serve him, the king violated God's law and went in and offered what priests should offer. It's as if he said, I'm successful here. I can also take over the local church and, and uh, be the spiritual leader of the local church. But God wanted Israel to have no other spiritual leader but himself. Uzziah was unfaithful because he exalted himself against the glory of God. But his unfaithfulness had begun to cause the country to unravel. We read about this in Isaiah chapter 5. The country had already begun to show signs of weakness. So imagine living during this time. After this man, this ruler, this institution had led so well for so long, now we're seeing cracks in the foundation and it ultimately culminates with him dying. Imagine the weight of that upon Isaiah's soul. What that does to a nation. We live in a nation where we see presidents every four or eight years. We see that type of turnover. But even us, even as a nation, we would be rocked to the core if a president died in office. This is what Israel was going through with their leader for 52 years. But it's in this moment that God shows Isaiah himself and his throne room. It's as if God is saying to Isaiah and by extension us that political leaders come and go. But I am king of kings. I am Lord of lords. Unelectable, unimpeachable, unrevocable. How many praise God that he reigns for Ever and ever and ever our God reigns. And he is glorious. 
And what does Isaiah see? Well, look at what the words say. That he stood there and he saw God sitting upon his throne. Isn't it interesting that nowhere in scripture do we ever read that heaven is nervous? That God is worried. Never do we see God pacing the floor of heaven. Never do we see him shaking about what's happening in earth. He is always seated. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. God laughs at the nations while they rage and plot in vain. God is always in control. He wanted to let Isaiah know, I know you might be troubled by the affairs of earth, but don't worry, I am meticulously sovereign. I am overseeing every affair of the world. My friends, sometimes what's happening here on earth can be so big in our minds that we forget how big our God is. We can forget in the light of economic uncertainty and political chaos and social unrest and wars and rumors of wars, plagues and sickness. We can forget that our God is greater than all of it and the earth is unfolding according perfectly to his redemptive plan. I'm here to announce to you that God is always in control. Yesterday, today, and forevermore, there's not one square inch of created order over which he does not declare mine. He is fully in control. Not only is he seated, but he is high and lifted up. It's as if Isaiah standing at the door, the doorway of this, this glorious temple that is holding or hosting our God, and he says that God is higher than anything else higher than anything else of created order, higher than anything else even in that temple, that God is lofty and exalted. This is the best words he has. He uses the best of his vocabulary to describe God. How do you describe the indescribable? How do you describe what love feels like? How do you describe when something overwhelms your soul with its beauty and captivates your imagination? Isaiah is trying his best to convey the awesomeness of God. And the words that he comes up with is he is high. He is lifted up. And then he goes on to say the train of his robe fills the temple. Now for us guys, we may not be able to relate to this, but for ladies who Many of them uh, at their wedding wanted wedding dresses with a long train. I remember my wife's wedding dress. As a matter of fact, her train was such that her bridesmaid, one of her bridesmaids had to follow her around the whole day just helping to keep the train uh, uh, organized. I wish I had that type of support. <laughs> but God's train of his robe it's so glorious, it fills the entire temple. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I don't know how Isaiah stood in this moment. Only by the grace of God does he stand. Then it goes on to say that over God, there were seraphim. The seraphim, this word seraphim means burning ones. And these burning ones flew laps around the throne of God. Now here's my question for you, the question that the text begs us to ask. That if you had to summarize the attributes of God in one attribute, 
If you had to summarize all of who God is in one adjective, one characteristic, one descriptor, what word would you use for God? For them, the word they use was holy. That our God is holy. In the Hebrew, is kagosh. It means to cut or to separate, to set apart, to be in a category unlike any other. What they want you to know is that he, the greatest quality about God, is that he is in a category all by himself. That he is high, he is lifted up, and he's holy, but he's not just holy, he's holy, holy. He's not just holy, holy, he's holy, holy, holy. With each lap around, they say holy, holy, holy. And I'm amazed at the fire that is in this room that Isaiah must have saw. But this is what the Bible describes God as over and again. Even the Hebrew writer describes God in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, that God is an all-consuming fire. Imagine seeing God's glory. How would you describe it? Isaiah's best word is it's like a, a fire, fire so bright that you have to cover your face. It's a face melting fire. And here's how glorious God is to seraphim who are burning ones even had to cover their faces. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they flew around and around and around. And the only word that came to their hearts and minds is kagosh, holy, holy, holy. He is altogether different. He is not like man. He is greater than angels. He is greater than any other created being. The distance between us and God is greater than the distance between us and the caterpillar. That is finite. The distance between us and God is infinite. The distance between God and anything else is infinite. God is in a category by himself. All other things are just a footnote. God is glorious. He is glorious, friends. And that's what makes these gatherings that we have together so important. The words may fail us, though we don't have the vocabulary adequate to define and explain and describe the God of heaven, at least when we come together in this place and we sing songs like we just sang, we are reminded that he is much bigger than the darkness we face. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear because you are a fire from the loins up and a fire from the loins down. And you are all consuming fire. You are glorious. And here's the question that the text asks of me and it begs of you as well. Is this the way you see God? Or have we made him much smaller than he is? Have we made him small in our hearts and in our minds? Have we magnified the, uh, the events and the affairs and the people and the celebrities and the rulers of this world that in some way in our minds they, they might be bigger than our God? This is why the psalmist says, 
Oh, come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us remind one another as often as we can that God is bigger, he is greater, he is high, he is lifted up, he is glorious, he is ruling, he is reigning, he is sitting on his throne, he is worthy of honor, he is sovereignly in control, he is not afraid, he is not worried, he is not scared, he is not confused. Let's remind ourselves that he rules forever and ever and ever, and by the way, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our lives. I don't know what might be inhibiting your worship today, but I would just invite you to be reminded of the God that Isaiah wants to talk to us about. Verse number four says these words, and the foundation of the threshold shook. This is before he says a word, before he even is recorded as saying a word. The foundations are already shaking at the presence of the Lord and at the foundation shake of the temple of God. How much should our soul shake at the thought of how great he is? How much should our hearts exalt in him? He shook. The voice of the Lord who calls in the house was filled with smoke. You know, many times the Bible writers try to describe the voice of God. And again, all we have is the language of accommodation, human language. So they describe it as uh, the sound of many rushing mighty waters or thunder and lightning. This is the way he's described. Bible says in Revelation 4 that there will be four and 20 elders and all of them will be so overwhelmed by the glory of God that they will all bow down and lay their crowns at his feet. And there will be four other magnificent created beings standing around the throne of God, two also saying, holy, holy, holy. It's as if that's the anthem of who God is. By the way, that's the way he's described most frequently in Scripture. Over 600 times he is described as holy. Isaiah 30 times describes him as holy, set apart in the category all by himself. So the second question that I believe the text asks us is implied here is how do we respond to this? How now shall we live in light of this? Well, for Isaiah, verse number eight gives us the response. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Can you imagine standing there, knees knocking, observing this awe-inspiring God, looking underneath your arm as you hide your face because he is so glorious, and him looking back at you saying, who will obey me? Amen. Who will worship me with their lives? Who will tell the world about me? Who will proclaim my goodness and my grace to those who haven't heard about it? Standing before that God, you don't say no. Standing before that God, 
The response, the only proper response is the response Isaiah gives, and that is, here I am. Send me. Send me to do what? Well, Isaiah 5, I mean, uh, Matthew 5, rather, tells us what we're called to do. Can you turn there quickly with me? Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew 5 says this, Jesus, God in flesh, says these words. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We live in a day and age where so many are encouraged to follow your passions. Many are praying and asking God, what is my purpose? And all of it, in particular if you're young, can feel so confusing. What should I do with the best of my energies, my intellect, and my resources? Let me simplify it for you. Live for his glory. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Doesn't matter if you go into engineering or medicine or education or finance as much as whatever you do, do it for his glory. Live with a passion to know him and to make him known. Live with this vision of God ever before you. Never make him smaller than this. And do all that you can to reach your neighbors and your friends and men and women locally and around the world with the good news of Jesus. The reason why we stand with our global partners, the reason why we have such a passion to reach the unreached people groups of the world is friends There are men and women around this world that don't understand that our God is this awesome and this glorious. There are men and women around the world that have yet to be invited to know him and to worship him. And what you and I have the privilege of doing is not only telling the world about him, but partnering with men and women to invite a world to worshiping the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of all kings, the one who is holy and worthy of our praise. So I encourage you today to consider God asking you what he asked of Isaiah. It's not just a question for Isaiah, but here's the question that God is asking of me and of you today. Who will will go for us? Who shall I send? Who will tell the world about my goodness and my grace? Here's my question for you. What is your response to that? How many by the show of hands say, here am I, Lord. Send me. How many today say, Lord, I'll go? Come on, show me your hands. How many say today, Lord, I'll tell the world about you. Lord, I will invite others to worship you. Lord, I will do everything I can with my time, my talent, and my treasure to spread the good news of your glorious grace. 
How many know he is worthy of our praise, our worship, and all the honor? Stand with me all over the church. Today, if you don't know God, this is the God who can save you. This is the God who can rescue you. This is the God who loves you with a love like you've never been loved before. If you don't know him, today I invite you, whether online or in person, to give your heart to him. If you are online, just simply type the word connect and we will follow up with you. And if you are here in person, either stop at our connect desk or come to the front. One of our leaders will pray for you, but don't get this close to salvation and miss it. God loves you with an everlasting love. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for your grace. You are glorious. You are holy. May we live with that vision of you. And may it compel us to say, yes, I'll go, Lord. Send me in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.